My book baby is six months old. It was a very good half birthday. I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, February 11th, 2023, and this is episode 205 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing, um, a number of things made it onto my list for this week's best thing. The first of which was the Monsters We Defy turned six months old this year and uh, or this month or this week. <laughs> and um, I want to thank everyone who came out to my celebration YouTube live um, where I randomly and chaotically spilled um, some of the inspiration and historical research that I had done. Um, yeah, so thanks. Also, there was a, an author retreat that I was not a part of, but I sort of crashed. That was in Northern Virginia this week. Shout out to Becca Mizor, who is known as the fairy, the fairy Plot Mother. If you go to fairyplotmother.me, I believe is her website. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I've actually used her services. She's an editor and a book doctor. I used her service that is like a marketing analysis for Savage City to help me come up with ad copy that I used briefly because I ran I ran Facebook ads very briefly, but I will use it when I do run more ads when Beastly Kingdom comes out. And it was like a really comprehensive analysis of, you know, things you can put in teasers and ads and, and snippets from the book and ways to position it. I know she does blurbs. I have a lot of writer friends who speak very, very highly of her various services. And so she runs these plotting retreats different parts of the country. So there was one this week in uh, the area. By the area, I mean an hour away from me, but you know, not that far. <laughs> an hour with traffic. And it wasn't awful because I left at like 4 p.m. And I was like, I'm just going to put on some audiobooks and listen to a whole book probably by the time I get down there. But traffic was kind to me going both ways. So that's also this week's best thing because for me to drive to Northern Virginia. <laughs> but it was cool to meet some of the writers who were there. And uh, my very good friend, Ines Johnson, was taking a retreat and she like coerced me into driving down to Northern Virginia for in the evening. So, you know, it was a big deal. But it's also cool to meet new authors and make new contacts and um, sort of by osmosis get a little bit of the retreat energy that they were they were giving out. Also, the writing is going really well. So I am working on The God of Silent Tears, which is the book I've been calling the Black Towns book, but that's the title that I'm using. Uh, it's always been the title. And I was afraid that that someone, my publisher, was going to make me change it. And they might, but they haven't said anything yet. So <laughs> as of now, it's called The God of Silent Tears. That title comes from the Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And I think it's the third stanza, uh, God of Our Weary Years, God of Our Silent Tears. And I was like, oh, that was a major initial inspiration for the story that I'm writing. I have a playlist that I've been working with, with which has that song. And finding a version of the song with all three verses was kind of hard on Spotify, at least. That isn't, well, there's like the Melba Moore version from, I don't know if it aired on every, um, anywhere else but DC, the DC area on PBS, WHUT, which is Channel 32, Howard University Television, which is a PBS affiliate. At like midnight every night, or was it on the weekends, they would play the Melba Moore video version of Lift Every Voice and Sing. I will find this on YouTube and link to it if you haven't, if you're not familiar with it. And anyone like around the country, tell me, did they show this on, have you seen this before? Is it just a DC thing? 
because it's a black, you know, PBS channel. So I don't know who else would be interested in this. I mean, Jasmine Guy is dancing and they have all these different singers and it's a different version of the song. Anyway, Lift Every Voice and Sing was one of the inspirations, the lyrics of it uh, for this book going in. And uh, that's why I wanted the title to be The God of Silent Tears. And yeah, it just seemed like a really appropriate song for what I, I wanted the book to be. Now the books through their life cycles change so much. Um, and I go back to it. Like I, I go back to these original inspiration. There's also a poem, a couple of poems that I found. There's all kinds of inspiration for this book besides the original spark. There were things that I was gathering very early on. And this playlist is full of a variety of songs. Everything from, you know, that one to Ibeyi River, because there's a river and there's a, you know, that's very important. Um, lots of inspiration that I'm sure I'll share when the book actually is closer to coming out when I finish writing it, which will be as of now, I believe May 2024 is the tentative date, April, May. Be on the lookout, mark your calendars. As far as writing the book, it's going really well. I, you know, knock on wood, but we're in, we're in an up period. I feel great every day. I just come and I write. So it was either last week or the week before where I was hemming and hawing about, am I going to write out the synopsis? I always need to write out the synopsis. If you catch me, I'm counting on y'all. If you catch me talking in a future book, oh, I'm just going to start writing with the bullet points. Stop me because that is a, always a bad idea. So I spent a day writing out the full synopsis. And it's, it was only nine pages, which was a little concerning because I was expecting it to be like 15 to 20 pages. So we'll see what that means. There's certain parts of it that, that I know that I'm, I'm keeping from the first draft, so I didn't write out in as much detail. So maybe that's why. This book, the first version, I think was that I sent to my editor was like 80,000 words. And I'm expecting it to grow probably under 100, maybe between 90 and 100,000 words. And that synopsis usually would be 11, 12 or more pages. So... I don't know. It's not. It's nine pages, but it's been going really well. I sit down. I look at the, the paragraph of the scene I have to write, and I write it. And a lot of times, it's incorporating chunks of the first draft, but in different ways, and writing a lot of new stuff. And so that in that way, it's a puzzle because I've changed the characters and the motivations and the personalities to some degree, and the voice. Some much has changed, but there's still big chunks of the original that I can pull in that still fit and just tweak slightly. And there's things that I have to pull from different parts of the book. So because this, um, the version one was clear in my mind and I was doing a specific thing and I feel like I'm doing something a little bit different. Incorporating that is a little challenging, but it's also been kind of joyful because of the way that it's just been flowing really well. And I feel really inspired so, you know, this was a really good week. I know that there are rough weeks to come, but I've I've gotten about 12,000 words in the manuscript. I'm trying to get 15,000 a week. There are still chunks that I'm unsure about. The main story I know, but I had the idea to do some more interstitials in this book, and I'm waiting until the end to do those because I'm not quite sure about them. So I want to have enough time, which means at 15,000 words a week, at the end of this month, I'll be at 60 six weeks for 90 and then that would leave two weeks for the rest. I haven't done a firm schedule, but I'm just writing and just letting it flow right now and enjoying this moment of positive writing and things coming 
easily, you know, relatively easily as opposed to the way that things can happen. So very nice. So yeah, that's the writing update. I did want to talk about how do you know when you are ready to start writing? There was an episode on this topic on the Lit Service podcast that I will also link to since I was at this point where I was like, oh, you know, I thought that maybe I was ready to write when I had the bullet point outline. I was very wrong about that. I was just trying to rush and I need to always remember that I have to take my time, even with the deadline. It's not going to work out well if I'm not prepared. But when do you actually feel prepared? Because you don't ever feel 100% ready to write. At least I don't. I always feel like there's more work I could do. There's more background. There's more pre-writing. There's more character work um, that can spin out sort of infinitely. And so, you know, having the calendar, having the deadline helps me immensely. But there is a point at which I know enough. Like I could do more. And maybe more would help a little, but it's diminishing returns, you know, where, you know, so that it's it's emotional. And this week has all been very intuitive writing. It's all kind of feeling my way through. Like when I approach a new scene that is half new words and half words that I can, can cobble together from my first draft, that process is entirely intuitive. It's, it's putting together that puzzle almost like blindfolded, like you're feeling through. So I do feel like the work that I did, the character uh, profiles, the kind of more in-depth character profiles, getting to the Enneagrams and reviewing them. I reviewed them over and over again. So I had these people in my mind and things that they would do. And they're still surprising me. You know, like I have my main character whose name is Jane and I did the character builder profile on onestopforwriters.com, which is having a Valentine's Day sale. So if you are not a subscriber and you want to be, there's a discount I will put in the show notes. But I love their character builder profiles, especially for this later stage. And sometimes I try to do it up front and it doesn't work out as well. But when I'm when I have a first draft under my belt and I know the characters a little more, I can dive much deeper. And so I had some quirks that I had just chosen for her um, based on, you know, her her personality, her wound, her backstory. So I had things like she's very neat, she's organized. Um, but when I started writing, I discovered she loves words. She loves the dictionary. So the first thing when I was rewriting the first chapter, it's the way it starts right now is her her friend coming up and sort of getting on her case, like teasing her about using all these big words. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Just popped into my mind. Nothing about what the character work that I had done told me that. It was once I started writing, I discovered that. I also discovered she loves to cook in the, the scene I was writing yesterday. Had no idea. You know, so that's why if I had spent another week or two on the character profiles, I probably wouldn't have discovered that either. It had to be in the scene, in the emotion, living through it. And that's the discovery part. You know, I discovered that this character likes to cook. In the previous draft, she did not. She actually didn't cook at all, which was interesting. But making the changes that I did and kind of softening the edges of this story a little bit, I was like, oh, she likes to cook. And that's kind of the fun part, you know, the discovery, as much planning as I do, as much as I am a plotter and need to know, you know, nine pages worth of what's happening in this book. I also really love the discovery and the surprises that I only find when I'm writing and when I'm putting it together and when I'm relying on intuition, the muse, whatever to drive me forward. Back to how do you know when you're ready to start writing? It's a leap of faith. You know, it's a leap of faith that you've done enough and it's not to say that you're not going to stop and do more 
while you're writing, because I always do that as well. I stop, I review things. If I'm if I don't know something, I figure it out. Character-wise, plot-wise, world-building-wise, of course, that's how I do the world-building. And that's actually how I'm teaching it in the course that I'm building. I'll talk about the course in a minute. I had to stop and research birds. <laughs> what birds are common to Alabama? Because I don't name the state in the book at all, but I'm using Alabama as my as my basis for it. So what birds would she notice? What trees? I had done this before, but I was I wanted to like re look at the trees again. Oh, one thing I re- researched was recipes. Once I decided that she she loved to cook, and she in the scene she's looking for her mother's cookbook. Her mother's passed away, so this cookbook is like one of the only things they have from their mother. And I was like, oh, I wanted the cookbook to be in a special place in the kitchen, and it's going to be next to a couple of other special cookbooks. So I had to research. What would a black person in 1935, like what cookbooks would they have? What black cookbooks existed back then? And I found these various cookbooks written by slaves or former slaves. And, you know, one was apparently very popular, according to my Google search, you know, this article that I read. And then I went down a rabbit hole of finding the cookbook, the archived version on this uh, university website and looking at the, the recipes. So this one was written in 1881. And... I was like, oh, let me check out some recipes. There was this Maryland biscuit recipe. And it was like half a teacup of yeast. And I was like, half a teacup? The measurements were all like from the 1880s. I'm sure there's a way that you can calculate that and convert it to modern day measurings. But it was really fun to see this, this recipe of this recipe book from, you know, this woman who had was a former slave and she went on to be a business owner and be really, you know, um, in San Francisco. I can't remember her name right now, but I will link it in the show notes if anyone else is curious about what an 1880s uh, black cookbook would look like. And so I figured, okay, this would be on her shelf. She would also have recipes that she had handwritten from things that she experimented and tried and, you know, neighbors and elders around her had given her recipes. And that was kind of fun, but it was also a digression. But I needed it for that one line, you know, that kind of thing. So knowing that you're going to continue to do work, do background, do research. Um, whenever I come up against something world building wise, like the trees and the birds, I'm going to have to stop briefly and, you know, figure that out. I was looking up mimeograph machines and when were they invented? First of all, is that what they would have used in 1935? Who would have used it? How, you know, how big are they? What do they look? How do you actually use a mimeograph machine? Those kind of things. And none of that is actually in the book. It's just that, hey, this thing, this uh, newsletter is mimeographed and, you know, copied and distributed about town. But I needed to know. So, yeah, just to wrap it up, uh, you're ready to write when you feel like you're ready to write. But especially depending on your personality, you might never feel like you're ready to write. So at that point, give yourself a deadline. Like, all right, I need to, I can spend another three days you know, doing character work and plotting things out. But at that point, I'm going to take the leap of faith and know that I can still stop after I've written a chapter and review by plot, see if it, see how it's changed. I'm already changing things. Like the first chapter was wildly different than the synopsis I had written the day before, like when I went to write the first chapter. Inspiration hit me and I was like, oh, okay, I can do it this way. And then I can get back to where I thought I was going to be. But you have to leave room for that, leave room for those discoveries and serendipity and inspiration and all of that. I also read this article about adding an hour to your weekly schedule where you just do nothing but think. 
I've come across this idea in different ways, but actually putting it on the calendar saying, you know, from 4 to 5 p.m. on Wednesdays, I am going to not read, not look at social media, not listen to any podcasts or audiobooks, just sit and think. I'm going to try it and report back. I'm going to put it on my calendar and see. If it's on my calendar, it exists. If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. So, And the idea is that you just need time to think, like everybody could use it, every creative person. And and this actually came from um, a person who was not creative. He was the former U.S. Secretary of State, George Shultz. Um, I'll link to this article. It's called a Schultz Hour in this, which it just seems unnecessary to attribute this to him because that's weird. But um, yeah, he had an hour dedicated to thinking. It says he sat down in his office with a pad and a, a pad of paper and a pen, closed the door, and told his secretary to interrupt him only if one of two people called, my wife or the president. So he was thinking strategically about Secretary of State things. So I guess it's just anybody could use this. You don't have to be a creative person. In this day and age, with all the distractions that we get, time to to sit and think. I, I do a lot of thinking like in the shower and I get a lot of ideas. Most people, you know, people take walks to get ideas. There's, there's different ways to generate that sort of time when you're not doing other things and you get ideas. But usually I'm still technically doing other things. I mean, they're taking a shower, washing the dishes, actually walking the dog. Speaking of dogs, Sherman just joined us. And I do end up spending time daydreaming and thinking and not doing anything, you know, as I'm going to bed, lying in bed usually, or in the morning, sometimes I wake up and I'm not ready to do anything, but it's not scheduled and purposeful. And I think the idea of having a pad and a pen with you, I'd probably use my remarkable to and do it very purposefully. You know, I think the more that we take things we might do either instinctively or just naturally and do them purposefully, that maybe we can corral ideas. So I'm going to schedule my thinking hour once a week and um, we'll see how it goes. My other big accomplishment this week was to write the keynote speech that I will be giving for the Book Life Indie Author Forum. That's taking place February 25th, 2023, if you're listening to this in real time. And this is Leslie from the future popping in to say that you can register for the Book Life Indie Author Forum for 50% off if you use the promo code FRIEND. So use the link, um, indieauthorforum.com, promo code FRIEND for 50% off. And uh, the registration information will be in the show notes. I actually have to record it this weekend uh, because it's pre-recorded. And so I was like, ah, that was stressful. It was on my mind. I had given a keynote a couple of years ago at the Hampton Roads Writers Conference. So I use that as my base, but I did have to change a lot of it because I had really focused that towards, you know, I lived in Hampton Roads. I had taken a lot of writers workshops there and it was like for that. It, it felt very focused for, for on that area and that conference. So I took the same ideas and then just changed it, updated it, I was trying to think, like, should I come up with something completely new? I mean, the, the overlap of those two conferences are probably minimal, if any. But it is two years later. I have newer things to say. Maybe if I give a keynote, you know, in five or 10 years, I'll have many brand new revelations to share with people. But I feel good about it. I'm happy with what I came up with. I will be recording tomorrow. <laughs> so this is yesterday. I was like, oh, okay. How am I going to do this? I'm pre-recording it. I want it to look vibrant. I don't want to be reading off a of paper. I will get teleprompter software. So I downloaded this teleprompter software and I did a test. But, you know, the camera's up there and you're reading down here and the eyeline was wrong. So I was like, do I actually have to get a 
teleprompter. So me being me and loving gadgets, I did order a teleprompter, like an iPad teleprompter thing that it's hardware that you can put on your tripod. And I have a professional video tripod because you have to have like a sturdy tripod for this. You run this teleprompter software on your iPad. There's a mirror and then the camera is like behind, um, the mirror goes in front of the camera. So you're actually looking at the camera lens while you're reading and the eyeline is right. And yeah, and they're much more expensive than I thought. So I was like, ah, oh, I don't really want to spend that much, but I also want the eyeline to be right. And it was bothering me. I'm sure no one else would really care or they'll expect it to be a different eyeline because of the way that cameras work. But I know I can use it in the future. And so it's an investment. And I was like, well, I am getting paid for the presentation. So I will reinvest a portion of that into my teleprompter. I'm kind of excited about it. I had to buy one that that could ship overnight from Amazon so I could get it today. And that limited my options a little bit. But it's very on brand for me to buy a whole teleprompter thing for this keynote speech. Oh, and I promised a class update. I've had three more modules to record for like two or three weeks now, but I have to do it this week. And I think my schedule is opening up after I record the keynote. Then the whole idea of like writing it and recording it was on my mind this whole week. Um, but yes, I promised Cerise, who is the founder of VirtuousCon, that the course would be ready by VirtuousCon, which is February 25th and 26th. I'll be appearing on a panel there that Sunday, uh, Magic in the Everyday. So yes, I encourage you to check that out as well. And I will be launching the course at some point before then. <laughs> so probably a soft launch, uh, announcing it to the newsletter. And I don't know about social media. Maybe after that, I'll put it on social media once I get a few, you know, make sure there's no kinks in the system with the initial signups, hopefully. And then, yeah, so (laughs) it's going well. I have one more video that I've recorded weeks ago to edit and then the new recordings and then start doing the bonuses, which will probably happen after it launches at this point. I spent um, a ridiculous amount of time on the web page. Because I was, I feel like I was getting a dopamine hit from tweaking the web page. It was just making me happy, like knowing I still have to record the rest of the classes. But this web page is going to be on point, in theory. So yeah, stay tuned. Make sure you're on the footnotes newsletter if you want to be the first in line. And it's coming in a couple of weeks, and I'm excited about it. So that's it for me for this week. Uh, goals for the coming week are to continue writing get 15 to 20,000 words this coming week, ideally. Continue the the forward progress and the momentum that I have attained. So I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.